Good morning. I'm Andrew. I'm a member of staff here. If it's your first time at St Matthews, a special welcome to you. Be glad to catch up and say good day afterwards. Um, if it's your second time or more, welcome back. We're continuing on in our series in John, and I'm teaching today from John chapter 14, the passage that was read for us earlier. Um, yesterday afternoon, I was at Snapper & Co., just on the shores of Lake Billy Griffin at Yarralumla. And I was there to support um, local live music. One of my children happened to be playing there. And we were enjoying a, a pretty decent afternoon. And as can happen, the wind came up and started gusting very, very strongly. And so strongly that an umbrella that was two tables over from ours um, got picked up, hit a young girl in the head ended up over the table next to us, and as my wife later reminded me, in between us, which I had forgotten about, because the distress of the girl um, was so great that that was capturing all of my attention as she cried out with the shock of the impact and the sight of her own blood, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. She didn't. Um, she lay there for half an hour while people compressed uh, the wound and they waited for the ambulance. Um, so praise God that uh, she was okay. But it afforded us all the possibility actually of just reflecting on the fragility of life and how quickly things can change. And um, as I drove away from Snapper & Co at Yarralumla, I was reflecting on the fact that death can cut in so quickly. But on Monday this week, at 4am actually, in parts of Turkey and Syria, um, tens of thousands of people never had the chance to reflect on the fragility of life and how quickly death can cut in. Because that earthquake at 4am was just too sudden. So here we are, this morning, with that opportunity to reflect and thankfully hear the words of the Lord Jesus who says... I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But maybe to express that a little more positively, you can come to the Father through me. You can come to God through me. Um, death in this life is not the end. And the fragility of our existence in a world ruled by death is actually overcome by Jesus' certainty about life with God. So. When death inevitably does come, instead of it separating us from God, trusting Jesus means that we actually will have life with God forever. And that's what we're going to be hearing about and rejoicing in this morning. So please join me and let's pray. We need God's help to understand these things and to believe them and to live them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus so people can come to you through him. Please show us that now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So my first point is entitled, um, A Crucial Separation. And that's what the disciples and Jesus um, are beginning to experience. When the world is actually overshadowed by death, you want to hang on to the thing that gives life, or in their case, the one who gives life. So it brings strong emotions when Jesus says, I'm going. And it's not just that he's about to take a trip, but he's just starting to, to lead them into understanding he's heading to his death. 
And what we hear is that that brings out some emotion in them. His closest followers feel troubled or distressed, depending on, on your version. And the English doesn't do it justice because what that word actually is talking about is a feeling of revulsion or anger or horror or agitation. So what the disciples are actually experiencing is a very, very deep movement in their spirit. And they don't like it. But Jesus says this is a crucial separation because what he's going to do is actually going to lead to their salvation and the way to heaven will be opened. So it's exceptional. Have a glance down at your Bibles, John chapter 14, and I'm going to read from verse 1. John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says to them. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So, of course, they're upset, like I've already mentioned. What they've kind of started to understand increasingly is that God is with them. Life is with him as he has shown himself more and more to be God. Jesus' word changes the present as he does only what God can do. He fulfills what God said in the past and what they're going to come to understand a little bit further down the track is his word actually creates the future. So you want to turn back just for a sec to chapter 13 and we'll read again verse 18 to 20 because we get a bit of a demo there of these things. And it's in the context of Jesus predicting his betrayal. John chapter 13 verse 18. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Do you see what's going on there? The betrayal is not an interruption in God's plans. It's actually completely in keeping with God's plans. What Jesus says is, is actually this is what God has planned. And here I am to fulfill what God has said in the past. But remember this. I'm speaking these words which create the future. And I'm telling you now so that when it does come true, you'll remember that I said them. <laughs> you remember that I'm actually God. <laughs> I'm not only fulfilling the past... And changing the present, I am creating the future. So being together with this Jesus meant being with God and having life. Being separated from him means being without God and potentially without life. That's what is going through their minds. And he says, addressing their troubles, do you think that my going is bad news? Do you think that my going means separation from God? It's actually the opposite. I'm going to my father's house, to heaven, to prepare a place for you is really, really, really good. 
It's a crucial separation. I'll come back to that in just a moment. But I wanted to tease out some of the layers of the onion in that phrase, in what he's saying to them, okay? And specifically, I'm referring to when he is saying, verse 2, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Here are some of the layers of the onion. Jesus says God actually exists and that he's on the same level as God because he says a little bit before the verse that I just referenced, believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is just saying, look, there's a unity, there's a sameness about the Father and the Son. Believe us. And then he says, heaven exists. Jesus knows that it exists. It's his Father's house. And then he goes on to say, there's plenty of room there for them. And that he is the way that they will get into it. And his departure is crucial to that. And here's why I'm teasing this stuff out, right? Partly to demonstrate that sometimes when we're reading scripture, we just need to sit on a verse for a sec. And then start to reflect on that and with the Holy Spirit's help kind of work this out. But here's why I wanted to kind of pause on this for a moment. Because sometimes you might feel like, especially when people are not believing the same things as you, have I made all this up? Am I living in fantasy land? Is heaven just kind of a nice idea that at funerals people love to say that heaven's actually there and the person is now sitting on the clouds and looking down on everyone just to make everyone feel better, but it's really just a nonsense? Because as soon as they work out of the work, walk out of the funeral, they say, oh, that's, that's a lot of rubbish. Jesus is actually saying all these things. God exists. Heaven exists. There's a way there. I'm the way. Wow. So large, but it's so good, and he is so confident. And so can we be. We can have confidence that this is true. And he's actually saying this is a crucial separation. So I, I did a dodgy kind of lookup of the Latin because I wanted to be a little bit impressive this morning. I think if you put this in Latin, it would be a separatio crucis, right? And here's why, why I wanted to put it in the Latin. Because the word crucis from which we get crucial, actually starts with the understanding of the cross of Jesus. It's the crux moment. It's the central moment. It's the key moment. And he says this is a crucial separation because it's actually going to occur because of the cross where your sins are going to be forgiven. The separation between you and God is going to be done with because I'm going to take it. And the door to heaven is going to be open so that unity can occur. And so we have to be separate for a while because without it, there is no future, future between God and humanity. This is the key to people being united with him there. So there's the context. It's so vital. It's causing them distress. They don't understand it fully yet, but Jesus is absolutely rock solid. He's got it under control. So can they and we know the way to heaven? And Jesus says, absolutely. If you know Jesus... You know God. If you know Jesus, you know the way to God. Have a look at verse 4 again. John chapter 14, verse 4, and I'll just read through to verse 6. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? 
Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it turns out the way is not a route. It's not a map that can be followed. So Jesus is not there kind of just handing out directions. He's not even asking him to write it down. He's just saying to them, it's me. It's the person of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the truth and the life of God and for that reason he is the way to God. Now, I just want to deal with those three things really, really quickly. We're just going to skim the surface and I'm really sorry about that. But these are so massive, aren't they, what he is actually saying. So I'm going to start with him being the truth and then talk about the life and then these, these things being the reason he's the way. So I, I want to kind of push you just intellectually just a moment and take you into the realm a little bit of philosophy because it partly floats my boat, what I'm about to say. And I think, I think actually what I'm about to say is true. The truth is... This is what I mean. The truth is a self-defining concept that by the fact that we can even say that truth exists, it must be there. Because it's a concept that there's a purity of a principle that stands behind everything that we can understand. And Jesus is saying, when he says that I am the truth, he says, I am the pure principle at the heart of the universe. I am the creating power. I am the word of God. He is the point of reference against which everything else is measured. It's him. And he reveals the truth about God. As much as he is the truth, he shows the truth about God. He is the word in the flesh and he speaks it out to tell us about God. It's so large what he is saying. That he would be the truth. So that your very existence, my very existence, the existence of this whole world, it absolutely depends on him. It comes from him. It continues because of him. And it's going to return to him. It's awesome. And then he says, I am the life. Jesus has life in himself. And if you've been tracking through the first 13 chapters of John, you just seeing this is so obvious, isn't it? I'll just remind you of two things. Just with a word and a prayer, he creates the bread that thousands of people will eat. And again, that's a God thing that we've seen in the desert with the people of Israel in the Old Testament. But a more recent thing, which is absolutely clarifying that he is life, he says to the dead Lazarus on the other side of the grave, Lazarus, come out. And guess what? Lazarus comes out. That spun my mind, actually, when it, just in the soaping of that chapter. And I'm thinking, really? Can you imagine standing there and Jesus saying, Lazarus, come out? First of all, you'd be thinking this bloke is absolutely out of his tree. But then as Lazarus comes out, <laughs> you want to join the dots there? He just said that. That's just happened. Who is this guy? The life. And so because Jesus is the truth and he is the life, he can be the way. 
Jesus can be the way for others to come to God. And he's not just a trailblazer to hack a path through death so that other people might tread along it. He is the way. Um, I remember having a conversation once upon a time with uh, my oldest friend. I think I mentioned him before, a guy I knew at Mount Neighbour Primary School in Canberra that's since been raised to the ground to make way for more profitable things like uh, units um, that can be sold for more money, perhaps. And uh, as God would have it, our paths have crossed over our lives. So um, we didn't go to the same high school, but we went to the same college. And then uh, during university, we started playing a little bit of music together. And Tony loved to really give me a poke about being Christian. So whenever we were together, he would really try and give me a hard time. And I thought, that's cool, because at least we're talking about Jesus. <laughs> it didn't bother me. And there was one time... Um, it seemed like he, he really had been doing a lot of thinking and, and we were together and he said, I've worked you out. I thought this could be interesting. He said, I, I understand your Christianity. Okay. And he said, this is what it's like. You're walking across a tightrope and that's your life and Jesus is the net under you. And absolutely in a Holy Spirit inspired moment because I don't give myself credit for saying what I said next. I said... That is not it at all. Jesus is walking across the tightrope and he's holding me. It depends on Jesus because he is the way and the truth and the life. He's got to do it right. I, I, need, I need all the help that he can give because I'm sinful. It separates me from his father. By myself, I have no right to be in heaven. Sinners cannot live in paradise. And so it's the Lord Jesus who must be the way, the truth, and the life in my place. And there's a corollary, isn't there, that we've got to kind of think through with, with what Jesus has said here. The way of God of the Bible is the way. There is no other. The truth of the God of the Bible is the truth. There is no other. The life of the God of the Bible is the life. There is no other. Jesus knows it. He's unashamed of it. Because he is it. You might have heard of, of the example that some people use sometimes to explain how really all the different religions of the world are the same. It goes like this. Um, there's an elephant and there are people with blindfolds, each trying to feel the elephant and report back on what this thing is. And one person says... Oh, this elephant is like a, a big kind of hairy, flexible tube, just kind of moving around all the time with the, with the slime in the end. And another person says, no, this elephant is it's like, a, it's like a, a palm tree, oversized palm tree. Another person says, no, it's like this kind of flicking thing that I just can't seem to kind of, uh, you know, grab a hold of and keep still. And so on and so on and so on. Guessing at what the thing is, just demonstrating that basically... Humanity in its blindness is trying to grope in the dark to try and understand God. But here comes Jesus and he says, there is no elephant in the room. There's no elephant. There are no blindfolds. I'm God in the flesh, in the face. The blindfolds coming off. And that is exactly what's happening as we track with the disciples, right? But it's going to require a resurrection and the arrival of the Holy Spirit for their eyes really to be opened and to see Jesus for who he is. But 
He's not changing from before the resurrection to post-resurrection. They just understand what he's been talking to them about all the time. So access is exclusive and it's unique and it's only through Jesus. And it's quite confronting, isn't it? But Jesus has been so consistent about being one with the Father and uncompromising that access to the Father is only through the Son. So just a couple of points of application here before we move on. First thing, this is so positive. It's so good. There is access to God. And you can have rock-solid confidence that that is true and the door is open because Jesus not only said it, but he's done it. So if you've been doubting that there's connection to God, if you've been doubting that you could even be reconnected to God, if you've been doubting that heaven's there, Jesus is saying there, there is no doubt. I am the way and the truth and the life. A person comes to the Father through me, and it's possible. It's there. So I want to put that first before we kind of think through what it might look like to wrestle with the exclusivity of Jesus, because he says the way, the truth the life. It doesn't leave room for other people to be a part of the way, a part of the truth, a part of the life. It doesn't leave any room for anyone to be saying, Jesus is only a part of the way or a part of the truth or a part of the life. Or Jesus is a part of the elephant. There is no room for us to say that. And it's confronting, isn't it? Especially because for many of us, we don't want it to be the case. In the anguish of our own hearts, the people who don't know Jesus will not be with the Lord in eternity. We have anguish in our hearts that, our fams, that many of us have family members who don't yet know Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord. And so when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, it's very painful. But nonetheless, this is what he says. And I think the effect on me is, is, is an urgency in prayer for my family members who don't yet know the Lord Jesus. And as it was expressed by Kanishka on Friday night at the CMS uh, Mission Focus, he said, this invitation has been given by the Lord to the whole earth. And so we need to grow mission. First of all, stepping outside the door of this church building and then out the door of our houses or even in our houses and then further afield like Jeremy and Jill. But that's the help that our world needs. Um, a, couple, a couple more reflections in this regard. I studied uh, political science and hist Asian history at ANU, but I went to the student ministry at the same time, and therefore I was studying Jesus in parallel to political science and to Asian history. And the thing that I kept noticing about political science and Asian history was that there have been many excellent efforts through the centuries and the millennia of inventing a society and ways of ruling that get to a point and then they always collapse back down. And there's a cyclic nature to humanity that is really, really trying to keep working out how, how we best live, but also how we get beyond this life. But it keeps going like that. And then here comes Jesus, and he's just tracking a straight line into eternity. And as I had the opportunity to compare these two things, I thought, these are not the same. <laughs> they are just not the same. So what people are coming up with is not what Jesus does at all. They are so different. It reminds me of a story I once heard of the experience of Bruce Olson, who was a missionary to the Motolani Indians along the Colombian border. Um, he was walking with members of the tribe that he'd been able to be a, become a part of, 
and they were going from one village to another. And along this jungle path, they came across two men from another village. One of them was up, the, up a tree, screaming out into the, into the sky. The other was down at the bottom of the tree, digging a hole. And as it was explained to Bruce Olsen, what these guys were doing was trying to make a reconnection to the God that their forefathers had rejected. And in that moment, Bruce Olsen realised, and he had the opportunity to say, look, Jesus is the one who has come from the God that your forefathers rejected to reconnect you to him. And it was the beginning of the spark of salvation in the guy who was Bruce Olsen's closest acquaintance in that tribe. So if you know Jesus, you know God. That's what's going on here. So how can a person see God? And all I'm doing now, I think, as I go through the rest of the passage, is explaining how it can be the case that Jesus says in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because he's saying, look, if you've seen God, or if, you know, if you know me, you know God. If you see me, you see God in the flesh. Have a look at verse 7. John chapter 14, verse 7. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? It sounds like Peter's brilliant idea at the Transfiguration, uh, Lord, let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. It sounds like another of those moments, right? Thomas saying, well, Jesus, I've got a really simple solution. You just show us the Father, mate, and that'll be enough. We won't, we won't be upset anymore. We won't be troubled anymore. And Jesus basically says to him, how's it possible for you to keep asking me this? <laughs> You've seen me. So again, do you get what's going on? The clarity in Jesus' mind keeps coming out. The confusion in the disciples' mind keeps coming back to him. But what we're wrestling with here is, okay, who are we listening to? But where do we find ourselves? And that, that's what God wants us to do as we come at this from his word. So Jesus is united in will and word with God the Father. Like I said before, he intervenes in the present just like God did in the past. He fulfills in the present what God spoke in the past. And Jesus creates the future by actually speaking it into existence. But the disciples and Jesus aren't seeing the same thing, at least not yet. Jesus knows he's the son who perfectly shows the father. Now, Moses sought the same thing. Do you remember the Exodus reading? Moses says, I just need some more help here. Just give me something more so I can keep leading these people and we can keep working it out together. And so God says, no, yep, no worries. I'll give you a limited view a safe view, only for you. And so he says, he hides Moses in the crack of the rock, passes by, so Moses won't get burned up. Only Moses saw God's glory at a glance. Here, the disciples actually see God's glory in Christ face to face, and they live. There's no more hiding in the clefts of rocks. It's complete relationship with God in the person of Jesus Christ. So this is what John eventually is able to come to understand fully and write down. Have a look back with me, John 1, 
And we'll just kind of get a, a bit of a, the summary condensed version of what John has come to understand. He doesn't understand it in this moment, but he comes to understand it later. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And then if you go down to John 1, 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So Moses saw partially, Jesus showed it fully, and they fully saw. So here's, the, here's what's going on. If I showed you a picture of my wife, Sarah, and I, I told you she is the most awesome woman I have known, that it was the second best decision I've ever made in my life to marry her. The first was following Jesus and then uh, agreeing to marry her. That would be one thing, wouldn't it, if I just showed you a picture. But if Sarah was standing here and we were able to talk and she was able to share more of how good it has been to marry me and how it was a, a great decision <laughs> for her to say yes, maybe that would be more convincing. But what's happening here is that Jesus is saying, I am God in the flesh. And we are observers to this wrestle. And that's a really cool thing, I think, about the scriptures. It's the really cool thing about the gospels. Because we're observers of them wrestling this out, trying to, to understand, can it be true that God can be here in the form of Jesus? And we keep tracking with them. And so this morning, it could be for you the case that you're asking yourself, yes, I really do find myself amongst the disciples because I am asking still, who is this man? Good. Keep tracking with them and find out. Keep asking that question because they, they, they come up with a really clear answer. But you might find yourself in the midst of people who seem like the disciples or even like the Pharisees. Can Jesus really be who he says he is? You're convinced but maybe other people around you aren't. But guess what? That's the world that we live in. So take some comfort from the fact that not everyone is always going to be able to see Jesus the way that you see him. It might be at home. You might be living with people who aren't yet followers of Jesus. It might be at work. You might be in a team of people who really are not convinced of Jesus at all. Either they don't know him or some of them are just opposed to him. Okay, the scripture tells us that's how it works. Keep letting Jesus be the one who tells you about Jesus. And so finally, how is it that Jesus can say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life to God. No one comes to the Father except through me. How, how is that possible? How can a person actually be connected and be doing the will of God? And he says, believe in me. Because when you believe in me, you believe in God, and you're united with God through Jesus. And you can actually join in doing his will. Have a look at verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves, that is, the signs, the things that he's been doing. So Jesus gives two really big, strong, clear reasons to, to, to believe him. 
First of all, take him at his word. He's just constantly been saying, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. My words aren't my own. They're authorised by the Father living in me. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. We just share complete unity. But then he says, take me at my works. You know, if, if words are not your thing and you can't be convinced by what I'm saying, please just take a clear look at what I've been doing. These are God things by the God power of his own words. And he's just been utterly walking the talk, backed up. He is God. But the biggest work and the greatest act of Jesus' service is the cross. He said it would happen, it's coming, and we know now that it did happen. But not just his death in our place to take our punishment with the Lord, his resurrection. That is the locking piece. It's actually the key that unlocks the door to any believing. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, there is no good reason to trust him because he's just relegated to the scrap heap of history, along with a lot of other good people who had a crack at trying to change things, but potentially just dying, trying. But if he's risen from the dead, it changes everything. And that's what Christianity is actually based on. <laughs> they could not negate the fact that this guy was alive. <laughs> that's why they started to preach. But here's where the rubber hits the road. Why is Jesus doing all this? Because he wants people to believe. He says it at least three times in this last section of the passage. Trust Jesus for who he is and because of what he does. Believe in Jesus means to believe in God, to have life with him. Will you? Will they? Will you? That's what it comes down to, doesn't it? Because he's saying, here's the reconnection and it's me. Trust me, I'll do it all for you. And then come into the will of God by trusting me. I find this amazing, actually, that Jesus is saying, your future in trusting me means being able to do the will of God. Wow. A lot of our stress, a lot of our depression comes from the fact that we've got an ideal, but here's our reality. And sometimes it's a God thing. We think, this is God's ideal, but here's my reality, and I just don't do what God wants me to do. But Jesus is saying, you can come in completely to the unity of the Father and the Son by trusting in me and doing God's will. And what's that going to look like? Pointing to Jesus. Because when you point to Jesus, he points to the Father. And when that happens, God is glorified because he's revealed for who he truly is. It's really quite simple. We just keep saying, look, I don't have it. I'm not good enough. Jesus is. And, and as that takes over, we start to realise Jesus' way is the way. Jesus' life is the life. Jesus' truth is the truth. So I kneel to serve as Jesus served. Not to earn salvation, but to thank him for it. The testimony of Thomas is almost the conclusion of the Gospel of John. So Thomas is one of the guys, of course, that we've met today who's a bit sceptical, doubtful about who Jesus is at this point. And do you remember how he finished up? He says, I'm never going to believe it unless I'm able to put my hands in the wounds in his hands and touch his side. And in comes Jesus, breaks into the locked room, just appears, and what comes out of Thomas's mouth? My Lord and my God. 
The resurrection convinces Thomas. And so he, along with John and others, are able to say, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. I started today reflecting on what happened to me yesterday and could happen to any of us at any moment, that death comes close and suddenly we are meeting our maker. But instead of worrying and screaming out, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, what we live with and we actually look forward to is being able to say, I'm going to live with Jesus in his father's house because he is the way and the truth and the life. Amen. Let's pray. Please join me and let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful that you brought us to this hour. We're so thankful for your patient mercy that you've given us the chance today, Lord, to reflect on our existence and on the power of your wonderful son, the way to you, the truth of you, the life with you. So please help us to trust Jesus, we pray, so that we can have that resurrected life with him and shine it out to others, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.